Let's turn back to the psalm that we read in the book of Psalms, Psalm 143. And I want us to consider the, the whole psalm uh, today, just to, to run through it. <clears throat> now, as we know, uh, David, well, just, we'll just read at the beginning. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you, and so on. Now, as we know, David didn't compose all the Psalms, but he certainly composed a lot of them. And there is something special about the Davidic Psalms. All the Psalms are special, but there's something special about the Davidic Psalms because they they seem, I know all the Psalms have been uh, it's by inspiration, by the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit. But there's something about the Davidic Psalms that enter into you, they get right into your heart, almost like right into your bones. It's almost like that they can reach places, uh, again, by God's Spirit, that other, uh, par- other Psalms maybe can't. Uh, D- David was somebody who seemed to be able to experience and had experienced the highest uh, joys and the most thrilling moments. David seemed sometimes almost to ride in chariots, where he's very. Some of the psalms are just euphoric, but he also plummets the depths. And it doesn't matter how high or uplifted we may feel in any particular given situation. When you go to the psalms, you will find, oh, David's been there and higher. And it doesn't seem to matter how low we may go, how much in the depths we may go, we'll find that David has also been there, and maybe even deeper. And so that's part of why the Psalms, and particularly the Davidic Psalms, have such a, an incredible place within people's lives. And uh, I know that uh, for myself, I have preached more from the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Psalms and from any of the other books in the Bible. And if I had only one book, if you're only allowed to take one book with you, I think it would be the Book of Psalms because there is everything really within it. And so we find in this particular psalm uh, that it says a psalm of David, and but Psalm 142 is also a psalm of David. And a lot of people think that these two psalms were written at the time of the same experience. And if that is the case, then it was when David, it tells us in Psalm 142, when David was in the cave. And that was, remember when he was in the cave, we read the account in 1 Samuel, when he was hiding from Saul. It, It would also be a companion of Psalm 57, which was also written in the cave. And uh, Psalm 142 and 143, because there are so many similarities, although there are differences, there are so many similarities within the psalm uh, that people think that they were uh, written at the same time. Uh, Because they're both times of of great trouble, Uh, both psalms, uh, we find that uh, like the spirit fails him, we find that uh, he's in so much trouble and writes about that in, in both these psalms. But, as we say, there are also differences. And the, the, the interesting thing is, if you go to Psalm 57, while there's also 
the cry for deliverance and the sense of being at the end of one's tether, Psalm 57 is a much more positive psalm than these two. And some people uh, say, how could you write Psalm 142, 143 and Psalm 57 at the same time? Because uh, people will say, it, it, well, it, that's not consistent. Because uh, it seems like sometimes going through the psalm that he's at the very end of himself. But yet in Psalm 57, there's just such a, there's a, a sense of that they will be delivered, that, 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 that these things, this, this calamity is going to pass and that everything will be all right. Well, very simply, because while we're going through trial, we go, we go through different emotions. We look at the same thing with different eyes at different moments. And that's how we find, for instance, in the cave that David displays tremendous faith where he had Saul in his reach. He could have killed Saul. He was being pressurized by his people, by his men to kill Saul. They were actually saying, God has put him here for you to take him, to kill him so that you'll become king. And yet David wouldn't do that. And yet after that amazing display of faith and courage and uh, uh, rightness before God he's then saying almost in the next breath surely one day I shall die by the hand of Saul so you can see how the how his emotions swing how and that's quite normal when you're going through a time of trial that that there are moments of faith is soaring and then you plummet and it's an up and down it's like a seesaw it's like a roller goes up and down and up and down so there's no inconsistency in writing about the same situation in, in different ways. It's a moment, the way you're at, meeting it at one particular moment, and then the next moment you might be looking at it in a different way. So there's really very little difference in that. So that, that, that uh, explains how that there, there can be uh, that difference. And as David begins his prayer, and he's in real need, and he says, hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. And I love what David, this is what, how David is beginning his prayer. He's basing his prayer on two things about God. First of all, on God's faithfulness. And you know, that's a beautiful quality. Faithfulness is one of the endearing qualities, is one of the rich qualities that you will find in any person's life if somebody is faithful. I suppose that's one, if we go, <laughs> why Dogs are, are so, uh, people are so fond of dogs because dogs tend to be so faithful. We talk uh, often a dog is called jealous because they're, they're, they're faithful animals. You will find uh, there's been often when somebody has fallen out in the moor out with a dog, the dog will stay with the person. Sometimes dogs have, you remember the story of Greyfriars, Bobby and all that, because there's this kind of uh, endearing uh, thing within a dog uh, the, the faithfulness and people look at that that's lovely but much more so in, in human but it's, it's, it's one of the great attributes the great pictures of the scripture gives us of who God is he is absolutely faithful and that is one of the most wonderful and sweet things that we have in our mind, in our heart, that even when we're unfaithful to him, which we all are, that doesn't break his faithfulness or turn his faithfulness away from us. In fact, you remember when David uh, sinned with his adultery and with his murder, 
and when he was convicted of it, that he comes to God. And he comes brokenhearted, but he comes basing basing his prayer requests upon God's faithfulness. You'll find that in Psalm 51. And God's covenant love and his faithfulness, which is going to be unchanging. David knew, oh, I've just, Lord, I have so let you down, particularly in my position as king. And I've actually murdered one of the most loyal, faithful men that I have in order to cover my own tracks. Because that's what he did when he had Uriah killed. And yet so conscious of his own unfaithfulness. And that, that was really highlighted in David's life at that particular moment. Killing one of his most loyal soldiers. And yet he's coming to God and saying, but you're faithful, Lord. And that's one of the wonderful things that, that gives us so much security in this life of ours that we're living, which is often so uncertain and insecure. And we say, what's going to happen? Well, the one thing is God remains. And he's always true to himself. Always, always. And so he's a covenant-keeping God, and he's absolutely faithful. And then the second thing that David bases his prayer, in your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. And that's the second thing. God's faithfulness first, and then God's righteousness. David, you see, has been treated so unfairly. He's been hounded, and it's been so unjust. He's never, God remember, David never did anything but good to Saul. And it was out of sheer jealousy and envy that Saul's heart was turned with utter malice and just like the other Saul in the New Testament was, used to be breathing out before he was converted, breathing out slaughter against the church. Well, Saul, King Saul, was breathing out slaughter towards David. He was putting all his energy into scouring the countryside and the hillsides and whatnot to get hold of David. Why? Because the women had sung Saul has slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And at that moment the spirit of jealousy took over. And from then on it was a downward in Saul's life. And David had never ever done anything but good to Saul. And that's why David is <laughs> he feels He's been so hard done by, driven from his home, driven from every privilege, a price on his head. He's public enemy number one. Anybody could kill him and be rewarded by the king. And it's very, very difficult when you're suffering for having done right. And so that's why David is coming to the Lord. And again, he's so thankful, first of all, that God is faithful when everything else is going, going belly up, so to speak. And that God is righteous, even although all around they are dealing in an unrighteous way with him. And that's one of the wonderful things that we have, the confidence that we have in the Lord, is that he will deal rightly. Remember when, when Abraham was praying for the safety and the security of Sodom, because he knew that Lot was there. And he was praying, oh, when he heard, when the Lord was going to, bring judgment on Sodom. And straight away the alarm bells went off and in Abraham's head, oh. And he was beginning to think of the Lot and his, his wife and the family. And remember how he began to pray, Lord, if you find 50 people, if you find 40, down, he worked all the way down to 10 people. And the Lord said, if I find 10, 
I will spare it for the sake of ten. And we find Adam, uh, sorry, Abraham saying, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham was so convinced of God's righteousness that he will do what is right. And so was David. So that's why David is coming, basing his prayer on God's faithfulness and on God's righteousness. And uh, that's what we must do as well. And David is then praying, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. And David is so conscious of God's holiness, of his righteousness. And although David has been severely wronged, David is also aware of his sin. And he's conscious that if God was to enter into judgment with him, David was finished. And he's saying, Lord, I know you're right. I'm not right. You are right. You are righteous. But don't enter into judgment with me. And as again, as we know, as Psalm 130 says, if the Lord should mark iniquity, who could stand there? And none of us could. But you see, God in his faithfulness has dealt with our sin if we've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And his judgment against us has been placed upon Christ. And because he is faithful, he won't punish us twice. He won't bring down his judgment upon us. Yeah, he may chastise us. And in fact, the word tells us that, that he will chastise us. Because he wants us to, he has to discipline us. Discipline is part of the, our Christian growth. Because uh, you and I know that if, if uh, children are allowed to grow up any, any way they want, they will grow up indisciplined. It won't. It's no kindness to a parent to allow a child just to do whatever they want. It's no kindness to children to allow, in, in school for uh, teachers to allow or education authorities to allow children just to do whatever they want. It's not, it's not good for the children. They won't grow up as proper citizens if they're allowed just to do whatever they want. And it's the same with the Lord. He, he has to discipline us. He has to correct us. He has to show us a way to go because we're natural rebels. So there's a big difference between the Lord and his discipline, but that's what he does to his people. He brings judgment against those who, who, are, who are, are not his people. But David is, is because of the situation. He's pleading and he's basing on God's mercy and, and his covenant faithfulness and his righteousness. And then in verses 3 and 4, David shows us kind of just how low he has gone. You see, he's under unrelenting pressure. And David feels overwhelmed. He feels that his spirit faints within him. For the enemy has pursued my soul. See the kind of the, the words he's using. Crushed. Darkness. I feel like those long dead. My spirit faints within me. My heart is appalled. You know, if you sat down with David and you just walked into the cave at that moment and you heard David and this is all you heard. <clears throat> the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. And that's all you heard. And you know you would say to yourself, Oh David, you, you're finished. You're, you, you are so crushed in your mind. You are so distraught. You are so at the end of yourself. 
you would feel, here's a man, I don't think he's ever going to sing again. Here's a man who is just so broken. And well, that's exactly who David was like that at that moment. But that's not the end of the psalm. And that wasn't the end of David's life. But that's where he was at that particular time. And that's why the psalms are so comforting to, to God's people. Because there are times that you would be able to use the same language about the situation that you're in. Because of the pain or the circumstances that you might find yourself in, your heart, you, maybe, some, maybe somebody like that is here today. And that's how you feel, that you just feel crushed and broken. And you're saying to yourself, you know, nobody in here has any idea what I am going through and what I am feeling. The struggle just to make it through each day. I just feel overwhelmed within myself. And maybe as you read these words, you can say, you know, David, I know exactly what you're saying. I've been there or I am there. And as I say, that, <clears throat> that's what, part of what makes the psalm so real, so, so helpful. But then verse 5, David, David does, like he started, remember, he started the psalm focusing on God's faithfulness and God's righteousness but then he does something else which is so important. See when you're really rock bottom when you're down. Do you know what's so important to do? This is what David does. He forces himself to look up to God again. And he begins to ponder and reflect upon God's greatness. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. And you see... That was a kind of a that was the beginning of a turning point for David. Because he began to stop right, he says, I can't go lower. I'm down on the brink here. But then he, he turns and he begins to think of what God has already done in his life. Remember when David went out to fight Goliath? That's what he did. Before he went to fight Goliath, he reflected and meditated upon what God had done for him in the past. In fact, he told Saul. When Saul said, hey, you're just a youth. Ah, David said, it's okay. Well, I tell you, I'm going to give you a wee bit of personal testimony here, Saul. When I was a shepherd there, and you know, the, a lion came and a bear came. Two different occasions. And they stole, <clears throat> they stole lambs. Now, if I'd been a shepherd and, a, and a, lamb, a, a bear came and a lion came, how would I just say, oh, on you go and eat? But not David. He went after them. And he killed the lion and he killed the bear. And he had asked God to help him. And that's what he's telling Saul. You know, Saul, I killed a lion and I killed a bear. And it was God who helped me. And if God helped me kill the lion and kill a bear, he'll help me against this, this Philistine who is blaspheming your name. You see, that's the way David worked. And you know, it's a great thing to do, is to remember God's works of old, of what he has done, what he has done in your life in the past. He's taken you through, maybe for some of you here, he's taken you through situations. There was a period in your life, and you thought you were finished. And you say, you know, I don't think I can go on. But you've gone on. And you are where you are today. Because God has taken you on. And it's so important to remember that. And that's one of the things when you go back to the Bible. And you see how God has taken on and taken on and taken on his people. And when you look at the history of David. 
Here's a man, you think he's finished, but he stops, he reflects on what God has done. And God has still an awful lot to do in the life of David. And in verse 6, it's kind of, this is verse is kind of pivotal, because while David has been crying for help and for deliverance and uh, for safety and strength and security and all these things, David now switches, as it were, from his own personal deliverance, and now his desire is for God himself. And you know, that's, uh, the, the, this is almost key to the psalm and you'll often find that in David's psalms it's kind of he's going down and down and down and then bang and he hits this kind of state and as he begins to begins to refocus and search up to look to the Lord then this growing awareness of God who's and God who is there and what God has done and who God is then it's almost like he forgets the plight he's in and says you know Lord it's you I actually want Above everything else, above my deliverance, above my trials, Lord, it's you I want. And that's what he's saying. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. And so here is this, here's David, and he knows that the source of his light, the source of his life, the source of his energy is in the Lord alone. And you know, it's one of the great discoveries of how the Lord can energize us. And isn't it quite remarkable how there are times, it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes you can come to church and you're really, really tired. I've heard people often say this in midweek, it's happened to myself. And maybe you're so tired, you've had a really busy day, and you say, boy, you know, I don't think I can face going to the meeting today. I'm so, so tired. And yet, by the time it's over, you're a different person. There's a, a new kind of energy has come back into you. You've been revitalized. Sometimes that can happen even in your own personal devotions. And you might be really down and flat. And you begin and gradually the Lord begins to lift you up as you begin to seek him. And you're re-energized. Well, that, that's what, what, what David is, is looking for here. Because he, he knows that, that if the Lord... Unless he has the Lord. Deliverance is okay. Yes, it's fine if I get delivered and all that. But I need you, Lord. I need, you need to be the heartbeat of my life. He's hungering for the Lord alone. And then verse 7, he's saying, Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. We often pray that, don't we? When we're, particularly when we're in need. When, we've got, when we're in the middle of a trial. We don't just say, Lord, answer me, but answer me quickly. Because, you see, David, and we can understand that, David's trial wasn't like a, it wasn't an overnight thing. It wasn't like a, a couple of days. David was, David, there was seven years in David's life from where he was initially set apart going to be king until he became king, until Saul's death. Seven years. And in these seven years, you're going to go down. And no wonder David to say to the Lord, answer me quickly. Because he has prayed and he's prayed and he's prayed to the Lord. And you and I know sometimes we can be praying, not weeks, not months, but years. 
And again, that's what brings us the encouragement in God's word because we live in this day of the instant. You snap your fingers, whatever you... It's just... Everything is just at the press of a button. We live in the... It's, it's in, it, in, in some ways, it's, it's almost bizarre where every provision is made for us in life just so easily, so simply, and yet never, people have never been so busy. Everybody is just rushing. As it says in the Bible in end times that knowledge will be increased and everybody will run to and fro. And that's exactly where we are. But because we live in this age where everything is happening instantly, we think God should work the same way. And we go to the Lord and we pray. The Lord says, no, 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 that's, that's not the way I work. I can work that way. In fact, sometimes I answer before you've actually asked. He tells us that. But the Lord, the Lord is gracious. There's a version of scripture which says, the Lord waits that he may be gracious. If the Lord was to answer everything that we asked, just like that, then we would miss out all the benefits of coming to know him. Because as we struggle in prayer and as we go to him again and again and again in prayer, it is through the returning of ourselves to be with him that we get to know him better. And we come to understand him better. So the Lord says, you know, I wait sometimes in order that I may be gracious. You will, for what you are praying, it will be a greater blessing to you when you receive it. But it's going to be down the line a bit. And through that waiting upon me, you're going to develop patience and understanding. And there's just different graces are going to be at work within your life. But here is David, and David is, oh Lord, I need your help now. Answer me quickly, Lord, because my spirit is failing. And that's a bad place to be when, when your spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. And you know, when the Lord doesn't answer your prayer, you often feel that he's hiding his face from you. Because we tend to think that when God answers prayer, that he's, that's great. It's like you almost feel that the, the smile of his favor is on you. When he doesn't answer, and when the time goes on and on and on, you think that he's hidden his face from you, that he's turned his face from you, which is something you don't want. It's one of the descriptions in the Bible of God's face is set against those that do wickedly. He just doesn't, oh, he doesn't like to look on that, whereas he looks in favor, look with favor upon his people. And David feels because of his helpless situation and because this prayer is not being answered that the Lord has hidden his face. And if the Lord hides his face from him, he says, well, I'm going to be like those who go down to the pit. And then in verse 8 he says, let me hear, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. Now, this word here, let me hear, has the idea of to enjoy or to possess. Let me enjoy and let me possess your covenant faithfulness or steadfast love. And David is saying, look, Lord, please give me yourself. This is again, he's coming back to that. Let me hear in the morning. Let me possess. You know, the psalmist says, I'll hear what God the Lord will speak. To his folk, he'll speak peace. And that's that's what the, what the, what the Lord does. He he speaks peace into, into our heart. And so it's, it's important for us to, 
to know that and to to be able to enjoy his his peace when we have it within our heart. Well, that's really what what David is saying here. He's so conscious of of the fact that uh, he needs that the Lord will indeed make himself known to him. And then he says, make me know the way that I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. And again, that's something that we're always looking for in, in life. Is that the Lord would lead us and direct us and show us a way to go. That's, that's our great prayer. Because we don't know the way to go. You know, when everything's going well and uh, life is working out for us, we feel, you know, we're saying, ah, life's good. And you think, I'm in control. I'm in control of my life just now. I feel on top. Have you ever said that to yourself? You know, things are going well. I, I feel on top. I feel in control of the situation. And then bang, something happens. And you're out of control. All of a sudden you say to yourself, oh, I, I, I feel lost where I am. I, I'm no longer in control. Circumstances are they're way beyond me. And it's, it's, it's not a nice place to be. We, we don't like being there. But it's in this place that we have to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, yeah, I need your help. I'm, not, I'm just not coping here just now. And quite frankly, Lord, I don't know what to do. You know, in a sense, we should actually go to the Lord every day. Even when things are going well, even when we feel that we're kind of in control and say, Lord, I know that today things, this last wee while things have been going right, all right. But Lord, I need your help right now. I need, I need you to be. And it's, we shouldn't just be going when, when things are, have gone off. We should be going when things are going well. I remember when, shortly after I became a, a Christian, we were in Callanish at the time and I was so conscious of a great sense of peace in the congregation. I remember saying to one of the old elders, Neil McKeever, near the Fadi, and I said, you know, there's a wonderful sense of peace here. Oh, yes, he said, but he said, you pray every single day that that will continue. Never, ever, ever take these things for granted. I thought it was a very important lesson to learn. When, when things are going well, don't take it for granted. Keep, keep praying that that's how it will be. And sometimes we... Sometimes we take our foot off the the throttle, so to speak. We take our eye off the Lord and we begin to, because things are going all right. And the Lord all of a sudden shows, oh, no, you're not in control. You're not. It doesn't take long to change things. So this is how David is praying and he's saying, Lord, make me to know the way that I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Now the thing is that the Lord has a way for us all to go. The Lord has set out certain principles in his word to direct us. His word is the direction of our life. Having said that, there is a different way for each one of us to travel. The way that you travel, yes, there are, we're, we're all going down the narrow road that leads to glory. But the way that you walk and the way that I walk, while still within the on based on the principles that God has set out in his word and how we are to live. Yet God's personal route for you along there might be very different from mine and to the person beside you. Because God has a road for each one of us. He has set out a, a course. 
Let us run with race. Let us run with patience the race that God has set out for us. And uh, we see that in the Bible over and over again. You look at the like of Joseph. Joseph had a course set out for him. It certainly was not the course that Joseph would have picked for himself. Because it involved being his brothers ganging up on him. Being sold as a slave to Egypt. Being falsely accused and thrust into a prison for years. For only doing right. And you say to yourself, Lord, what are you doing? I am sure there's many a time Joseph must have said, Lord, why? Well, we've always got to remember that although the Lord has an interest in your life individually and personally, he has a big picture in view. And sometimes the Lord will touch you for the good of others. In fact, he invariably does for the good of others. And if the Lord had not guided Joseph's life in the way, despite the wickedness of his brothers and the lie of Potiphar's wife and all these things, the Lord was still overruling and he was preparing Joseph for an exaltation that he could never have handled were it not for the humility he had gone through. But he was also preparing a way for his people. Always he's looking after his people. And sometimes you're at the very heart of that. What's going on in your life might not make sense to you. But God says, you know, he doesn't say I'm sorry, but he's he's saying, I'm actually dealing with you. Yes, this is going to be for your own good, but there's somebody over there. And I'm I'm actually, and you might not be aware of it, and you're wondering what's happening. But God's blessing somebody or reaching somebody through what you're going through. And so that's one of the things that the Bible shows us. And so God is our way. And always, always, even although it seems sometimes so unfair and reasonable and doesn't make sense, there is sense in it from God's side. And when we get to glory, we will see that he did all things well. Jacob, Jacob in his life, there was one point in his life, and he said, you know, all these things are against me. There was one thing after another and another. And that's what he said. It's all a going against me. And from Jacob's perspective, it was. And from when we're reading, but that wasn't the end. It wasn't actually going against him. It was actually working for him and working for the people of God. So we've always got to remember that this is the way it's working. So that's what David is saying. Make me know the way that I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. And then again, verse 9, time's going, just very briefly. He says, he's crying for deliverance. I have fled to, to you for refuge. How true that. I fled to you. I have, is that what he says? I have fled... Uh, I have fled to you for refuge. That's how we began the road as a Christian, wasn't it? Remember, you can put your mind back, the discovery that you were lost, the discovery that you couldn't make it through life on your own. What did you do? Did you say, ah, pooh? Did you become more determined than ever and say, oh, I've got to make it? Did you go and buy some self-help books to give you confidence to try and deal with the situation? No. You fled to Christ. You fled to him. He became your refuge and your strength. And because you have done that once and are now secure in him, all along life's way you continue to do that. And that's what David was doing. He said, I have fled to you for for refuge. 
Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Uh, let your good spirit lead me on level ground. <laughs> See what David is saying? David, David was a man after God's own heart. He was a good man. But he had his falls and his slips. We read about that. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. David understood all that. David knew what it was to sin, to fall. And that's why he says, Lord, lead me. And it's, it's, it's a lovely place. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. In other words, Lord, I'm prone to stumble. I, I, I'm liable to... I'm liable to trip. Lord, try and make the way as straight and as level for me as possible. And then he says in the the very last, verse 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. David is here, he's turning and he's saying, Lord, your reputation is on this. Remember the promises you gave me? What happens if if I die? Lord, it's your reputation. It's the same as Joshua was saying. Remember, uh, when, when Israel attacked Ai and they were chased after the taking of Jericho. And of course, remember the man Achan had disobeyed God and he had taken stuff and he had hidden it. And Israel couldn't stand before their enemies. And Joshua is on his knees before the Lord or flat on the ground. And he's praying, Lord, what will you... What will the enemy say of you? That you were no longer able to help. And Joshua, this is his great prayer. It was the same with Moses. They were so concerned for the reputation of God, for his great name. They often base their prayers on that. That's what David is doing as well. It's not just about himself. Lord, your name is involved in this. If I perish, Lord, your your name, because you have given the promises to me. And so this is part of the boldness that we have in prayer as we come before our Lord. And so as we've just reflected over over this psalm, we pray that the Lord will indeed bless uh, these, these thoughts to us, that we will know more and more of the leading, the guiding, the protection, the safety that we can only find in the Lord alone. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you will do us good. Bless each and every one of us. Bless us with health and with strength in our bodies, minds and souls. Enable us to go forward looking to you and leaning upon you. And we pray that you'll take us all to our home safely. Forgive us our every sin, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.